Turn into your devices or in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 11. And we're going to read in sections of chapter 11 and section 12. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 55. It's page 55 in the Bible in front of you if you want to follow along in the translation that I will be using today. I just want to say, um, you know, one of our values is participatory worship. Is that right? And uh, I just want to say the last two Sundays... Um, thank you, church, for singing to the Lord. We are called in Ephesians to sing to one another, speak to one another in songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I want you to know that when we gather, we gather to God first. And you all have truly called out to the Lord the last two weeks. But you're also speaking to one another. And I'm telling you that you all minister to me in your singing. You made me look to the heart of God this morning. So thank you for singing out this morning and, and, and fulfilling that. Today we're going to continue in our series to uh, look at Exodus. I am the Lord and I will bring you out. This is a story about God. It is about Moses. It is about Aaron. There's a lot of characters in here. It is about Israel. But truly, as we have seen from the beginning, the main character and the main emphasis and the main thrust of, of this story is God and him saving his people. And as we continue reading through this text, Especially today, we've looked at what the Lord has done to bring out his people. And today, maybe most importantly, or maybe emphatically saying that the Lord truly saves. And that is what we want to look at today. And so I'm going to read as I go a little different than I normally do. But I want to just pray as we begin this morning. Heavenly Father, we just come to meet with you. God, I, I pray for a life change in my own heart because I've come to your word and expected to meet with you. God, I pray for there to be life change among people here in this room and those who might be worshiping at home. That Lord, that we have come to your word to see where we might align mostly with the God Almighty who saves. And God, I pray for there to be anyone here that has not trusted in you for salvation, that Lord, today you would call, today you would change, that you would bring them to salvation today. Not by my words, not by what they've experienced through music, not because they got a warm hug and handshake and, and met with the greatest people in Northern Kentucky but because they've seen what a great God you really are. We pray this in your wonderful name, amen. Well, from the month of June and July in the Dobbins house, it is a very celebratory time. I mean, in your homes as well, there's obviously Father's Day and then there's Fourth of July. So those are natural celebrations that we look and honor people. But in our household, three of the five people celebrate birthdays during that time and so it starts with Franklin and then it goes to Parker and then it goes to me so it's the celebration of the men in the house I guess and it kind of gets 
Bella is very confused because she's like, we're celebrating somebody every week. What is going on? But my birthday must be tomorrow then. And she just is ready to just celebrate. And let me tell you, she is the best celebrator. She wished me ha saying happy birthday at least 10 times that day. She sang it in full to me that day. Well, interestingly, with holidays, special occasions, celebrations, and especially big events, we normally are celebrating something that has happened in the past, something that has happened in honoring something. And a birthday, it's, it is your birth. The 4th of July, it's the birth of the nation. And when we look at these big events at Christmas and Easter, something that's happened in the past. So when we come apart on a, on a, and while we're reading and we look and we see, God is telling us to celebrate. He's establishing actually a holiday and an event and a festival of something that hasn't even happened yet. He gives instructions in this text to get ready for what I'm about to do. You're going to want to celebrate. As a matter of fact, I'm commanding you to remember for all of your days that you will celebrate and honor my greatness. We need to pay attention to this. We need to understand what's about to happen because when we do, if God is bringing such attention to it that he says, I'm, I'm establishing a, a, something that you're going to want to celebrate and I haven't even done it yet, then we need to find out what it is. And when we look at this, we see an event when God saves his people through a substitute from a tenth plague. In this event, we see that God saves his people from slavery through the exodus. And through this event, what we know is the Passover, it points us to a greater exodus from sin through the power of Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's something that we would, should celebrate the rest of our lives if we have found our faith and life in him. And as we read these words, we want to be thankful to the God who saves. And in this text, we want to see five truths of a Lord who is saving his people. The first one is this, the Lord saves from his sin. If you're just taking notes or following along at home or writing things down, the Lord saves from sin. I wanna read just a section of chapter 11. So Moses says, this is verse, chapter 11, verse four. So Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who is the grindstones, as well as every firstborn of the land of Egypt, uh, sorry, of, of the livestock. Then there will be a great cry of anguish through all of the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will get out. And he, will, and he went out from Pharaoh's presence, fiercely angry. Here we want to see uh, the event that God has called uh, Moses to declare to Pharaoh, which we know as the 10th plague. Last week, I kind of 10,000 foot view ran through the first nine plagues and talked about how 
God strikes against judgment about, uh, against Israel, uh, uh, Egypt's sin. But here we want to, to acknowledge that here in the 10th plague, there is probably the worst of all because it affects every family. And in it, we see that the exodus happens because of this 10th plague. And most of the people, as we think about this plague, we think about this event of exodus and, and the Passover, that ultimately that it is God bringing people out of slavery. That ultimately this plague is specifically against Pharaoh. But I want us to see that in this plague, it is a plague that actually affects everyone because it is a, a plague that, that is not just generally against someone, but it is specifically about against sin. You see, Egypt and Pharaoh had gone in disobedience against God and his commands, but Israel is no innocent land here. They aren't someone who just are doing nothing. They have a long time forgotten God. They have long time forgotten to worship God. They are not someone who is not without sin. In verse 7, it helps us to, to jump out because it says that here, God says he will make a distinction between Israel and Egypt. Well, what was the distinction? The distinction wasn't because they were just born Jewish. It wasn't just because they came from the right family. It wasn't because things uh, of, of, of just their good nature. It wasn't because they, that God just said, okay, well, you're, you're better than them. No, there is a, a distinction because God's gift of grace over them that he would provide a substitute for them. That even though they, they are sinners, just like the Egyptians, that God in his plan made a, a grace-filled, forgiving sacrifice by giving a substitute over for them. It was not in the innate goodness of Israel. It was in the goodness and the grace and the forgiveness of God to give a substitute for Israel. And as we think of this, we must understand that there is a, a, a teaching moment here to Israel to say, look, you are no better. I'm just a good God. And in this, you need to be reminded that you're just as much of a sinner as Pharaoh is. And he would later on instruct in the Passover meal to eat of the bitter herbs. Now, the bitter herbs were partly, were mostly to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. Well, why did they need to be reminded of the bitterness? Yes, it was the pain and agony of being slaves in Egypt, but what was the ultimate gut punch of being in Egypt? They were outside the presence of God. They didn't have relationship with him. And the bitterness that they want, God wanted him to remember is that remember, I am saving you into my presence. I'm saving you into relationship with me. Remember the bitterness, what it was outside of relationship with me. This is a reminder to us that we need to be reminded that the Lord is saving from sin. The Passover demonstrates that apart from the blood of the lamb, Israel would be just as guilty because God is holy. And you know, honestly, if we're all truthful, 
We're all like Pharaoh in some way. We are all disobedient to God and his commands to us. Yeah, we, I've never had a plague sent on my house. I've never seen the judgment of God in that sort of way to say, hey, you need to listen up. But there's many times that if I'm admitting to you and know I admit to God that I disobey and sin regularly against him. And this reminds me, I should be reminded of the bitterness of what it was to be separated from God in my sin. To not have hope. To not know what there is grace that covers my sin. But in Hebrews even, the writer of Hebrews looks back and see this wonderful good news that was happened to Israel. That, it, that in Hebrews eleven twenty eight, by faith he instituted the Passover, the sprinkling of the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. It is by grace. Sometimes many of us need to watch ourselves because we slip into the pridefulness of our sin and minimize what is really going on in our own heart. How quickly that we look at the speck in someone else's eye and totally avoid the humongous giant side red oak tree log that is in our own eye. That many times we forget that we without but the grace of God would be dead to sin and deserve every bit of punishment and wrath and judgment that anyone else deserves. And we're not better because we're just a little bit better than our neighbor. We're not just, we don't deserve something greater because we, we grew up in a family that ended up going to church. We're not any better than anyone else. We're all sinners. And we need to be reminded of the bitterness of sin that we were saved out of. As Thomas Watson said, till sin be bitter, Christ will never be sweet. Believers, if we don't remember our sin, we will become so prideful and arrogant that we will never extend grace to others. But we will fail to come back to the great savior over and over again who died for us. An unbeliever, you will never look for a savior if you don't see the fact that you are lost without him. We have been saved by sin. So maybe this week, if you're a believer, maybe you need to get together with another believer. Hopefully it's in a mentoring type relationship or maybe it's in your life group and and, and confess some sin to someone and say, I know that this sin is something that I need to be walking away from, but, and I know that I need encouragement, I need faith, I need to be obedient to the scriptures, I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me be more faithful to the Lord. Or maybe you need to go to that person because you need to be reminded of the grace that waits for you so that you're not overwhelmed by your sin. Because this is good news. There was a distinction made 
the Lord saves from sin. Secondly, we see the Lord saves by substitute. Let me read chapter 12, verse 3 through 7. It says, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, the person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on a combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year old male, and you may take it from either a sheep or the goats. You are to keep it to the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. And they must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. And I want to skip over to verse 12 that says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt. Both people and animals, I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are saying will be dis- staying will be distinguished mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God describes the tenth plague that would strike down all of the firstborn of Egypt, that he would pass over the houses. The distinction or the only difference between Egyptian houses and Israel houses is that they would take a perfect lamb and that they would keep it unblemished. And on the 14th day, they would would kill it and that they would put the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel. Later, it would talk about how they would eat the lamb in, in, in all of its nature. But you will see that even though Israel were sinners, God had promised them a greater future if they would keep and have faith in him, that he would take them out of slavery to a place that would be in his presence forever. And in the same way, God looks forward here to a true substitute, Jesus, that would take on our sin, that if we would put our faith in him, that we would have be in his presence forever. You see, this continues what God has taught throughout Scripture, that sin deserves a sacrifice, that we cannot come to God unless there is something paid for of the sins. But notice how there is sort of a a winding up, so to speak, that that every time that an animal killed, that that God is is revealing nature, that this this sacrifice is extended to, to smaller groups, to larger groups. You see, in Adam and Eve, in the in the garden that, that there was an animal killed to cover the sins of both Adam and Eve. Later on, we remember that the story of Abraham and Isaac, when God says, go up to the mountain and sacrifice and sacrifice Isaac, but he provided a, a, a ram to be the substitute for now both of them. Later on now, we see what here in Egypt, that, that a lamb was sacrificed now for the whole family. And a little bit later on in the instruction for uh, the day of atonement, that there was a sacrifice made for all of the people of God. 
What do we see of this unfolding nature of God that God is teaching us that there must be a sacrifice made, but we see that this every sacrifice, every element that we are seeing, that the substitute isn't right. It's not enough. It's continuing sacrifices. It's continuing this. It's understanding that this sacrifice of a lamb is not enough. But God provides the perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. God himself comes perfect. A man to give himself for all of mankind's sins. That this lamb was crucified on the cross to pay the debt for our sins, that he was raised to life three days later. You see, Jesus was the ultimate answer for the sacrifice of sin. And it wasn't just for one person. It wasn't just for a family. It wasn't just for a nation. It was for all who placed their faith in him. John says and observes John the Baptist in John chapter 1 verse 29 says the next day John his cousin saw Jesus coming to him and said look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world brothers and sisters this is the miracle in which Christianity shows that no other belief no other religion, no other philosophy, no other understanding of the world can come to. No other deity would say, I will come die for you. You must die for me. But God died for sinners like me and you. And he provided a substitute. We deserved it, but Christ took it. And it is in this, as we are Christians, know our salvation is secure because a substitute came in the place for our sin. First Peter 1 through 8, who talks about the glorious riches of heaven, says, For you know that you were redeemed from the empty way of life inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but the precious blood of Christ like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. You see, God, through the Passover, gave Israel a substitute for each family that the death that he brought in judgment that night would not fall on them. But it is in Christ that that judgment does not fall on those who trust in Christ because of the blood of the Lamb, of Jesus. And there is a choice that we make that when we are brought to faith to put our faith in Christ, that we will trust in the blood of the Lamb or we will not. Because there was a truth laid that day that someone would be dead that night either a lamb or the firstborn. Tim Chester observes in every home through Egypt and Goshen, the death count is the same. The following morning, there is a corpse. The only question is, is it a lamb or is it a child who has died? 
The lamb is a substitute for the child. If the blood were simply marking out Israelite homes, then red paint would have done its job. But the blood is a sign that a sacrifice has been made, that a substitute has been offered. When people come into into churches and we talk about blood a lot, they might say, well, you are weird people. This is not Halloween all the time. There's a lot of bloody Sundays that we talk about the blood of the lamb and the blood of Christ and nothing but the blood. Who washes us blood? Blood washes out. I know that blood gets stained on my clothes, but I know that the stains of my sin are washed clean because of the blood of the lamb of Jesus. We are only saved by the blood of the substitute of the lamb. Your hope in anything in life and death is only because a substitute died for you. Everything you have done will fail you, but the blood of the lamb never will. Number three, the Lord saves us to be holy. In chapter 12, verse 15, it says, Uh, You must eat unleavened bread for seven days, for on the first day you must remove yeast from your houses. Whoever eats what is leavened from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. You are uh, to hold a sacred assembly on the first day and another sacred assembly on the seventh day. No work may be done on these days except for what's preparing what people need to eat. You may do only that. We see this understanding of God even comes down to the preparation of the meal. He gives out his holy Betty Crocker cookbooks and and how everything should be laid out. But it is not just for the preparation to make sure that the meal tastes good, but every bit of it is a sign and a message and a truth for the people of Israel and for us. When he talks about not bringing the unleavened into the house and that they are to eat the unleavened bread. And many times they talk about you need to be, have your, your, your robes ready and, and situated together because this is going to be a quick exodus. As soon as I move, you're going to leave. There's this element that we understand that there is going to be a quickness that we can't let bread to rise. And what makes bread rise? Well, it's the leaven. But what is yeast that you put in bread? Well, I mean, I remember we went through a stage in my house that my mom and her friends, like we literally had sourdough bread fresh in the house for like, I think it was like a year and a half. And so I I knew that somewhere in the house there was the starter right over in the corner. And and we say, we had to get started from somebody. We got to go get starter. And so, well, what is the starter? Well, it's the yeast. It was, it was fermented from old bread, right? I mean, it was gross. I mean, really. But it was the only way to make it really good later. But what was God teaching in this? Well, he was saying, don't bring leaven into it. Don't, don't bring leaven into this because he's teaching that I want you to understand that while I am saving you, I want you to not bring the old ways. I don't want you to bring your old lives. I'm saving you into something totally new. In a new way, in a new life. I'm not taking you to the promised land so that you could live the way the Egyptians did. 
I'm taking you there so that you might live in a new way, in a holy way, in a way that honors me. And that if I bring, the, if you, if, here's the lesson, don't bring that leaven, the old ways, the synchristic way, the way to mesh up things. No, there's a new way of holiness that you are to live. There's a reminder to us that God saves us, but he's creating in us something new to be a holy people. He is creating this people not to be like Egypt, but to be a, a, a people of holy people created for his own possession to be priests and kings in a new world and a new nation, to be his representatives on that earth, that every other country and every other people would live to dishonor God, but Israel would live to honor God. Well, in the New Testament, what do the New Testament writers use often to tell us not to leave in our lives when they talk about holiness and evil and live for holiness and not for evil, don't bring leaven into your house. Don't bring leaven into your life. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, 8, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new unleavened batch as indeed you are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old leaven or the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Brothers and sisters, when you have been saved by this wonderful Passover substitute lamb of Christ, you are not just being taken away. You are being saved to the holiness and service of God. And as we think of this, you need to be thinking, how does the, the substitute of the lamb affect how I live for him? As you think of this, how are you removing, how have you removed the old leaven from your life to live in a new way for Christ? Today, students, as you are preparing for a new school year, have you considered and stopped and prayed and thought how you're going to live for God in a wholly new way when you get to school, when you get to college? You're going to face professors who doubt the existence of God, the infallibility of the word, that they're going to want you to turn from God in such, such a way that you, you're going to be surrounded by friends and temptations that you know are there, that you are to say, well, how am I supposed to live here honorably, holy for you, God? Have you thought about how you'll do that? If you're in high school or middle school or elementary school, have you thought how you are going to set yourself apart as unto God that you would live in a way that is honorable and pleasing to him? And parents, how are we setting an example for those students that they might live in such a way? Brothers and sisters, when we are called to live for God, we have been saved to a holiness of life. And therefore, we must, as we understand, we have been saved from the sin, that we don't stay in sin, but instead we live to please God. So how are you living in the likeness of the Son today? Maybe today you need to be challenged by what God has done and what God is doing to change you, to live in holiness for him. And number four, we should remember that the Lord saves. 
That it is not just that we, we know it, we live it, we have faith in it, that we know what he did, but that we should actively remember it. And chapter Chapter 12, verse 17, it says, You are to deserve the festival of unleavened bread because of this very day I brought your military divisions out of the land of Egypt. You must observe this day throughout your generations as a permanent statute. God instructs Israel that there are now, because there are new people and a new calendar year is even given to them at this point. That this is now the first month of the year that from this first month you are to now remember from now on so that you and your children and your grandchildren from every succeeding generation remembers what I've done for you. And in the Passover meal, there are elements. If you've never been to a Seder meal, you should do one or be a part of one because it reminds you of each time of how every element of what God did through saving Egypt, through how he, has, how he brought them out of the Red Sea, how he brought them out of captivity, how he, he sacrificed the land. Of every element, it is reminding Israel and reminding Jewish people, now at the beginning of the year, you have remembered what I've done, now live for me for the rest of the year. This is a remembrance that they were called to live for and remember. Well, as Christians, we know that Christ gave this meal a secondary reminder for us to remember. If you remember his last supper that he is to, that he used the Passover meal, it was the Passover meal that he gathered with his disciples to use the different elements of the Passover meal to say, now this is my body that you are to remember that was given for you. That this is my blood that was given as a new covenant for you. First Corinthians 11, 25 through 26, he says that in the same way he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance as from me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Brothers and sisters, this is a, a, a wonderful scriptural reminder to us how important it is for us to gather as his people and be reminded at the Lord's Supper of what Christ has done. It nourishes us as we come together. It strengthens us because what we are doing, we proclaim when we take the blood, when we drink the cup and we eat the bread, that we are proclaiming what Christ did. We say, we stake our lives on this. And from now on, by God's grace and with these people, we're going to live for him. It is a proclamation. It is a remembrance. It is also encouragement for us to follow until the day he comes again. Brothers and sisters, maybe you came today because God said, you need to remember what I've done for you. You have wandered from me, and it's mainly because you have forgotten the good God that I am in your life. You need to remember that the Lord saves. Maybe you've not been regularly in a church. Maybe you've not been with a church body. Maybe you're not members of a church. Well, God is saying, look, join with other believers because we together remember what Christ has done. And we live for him together. We should remember that the Lord saves.
And finally, we receive the Lord's salvation by faith. And end of chapter 12, verse 12. Now begin, in the middle of chapter 12, verse 27 and 28, you are to reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and spared our homes. So the people knelt low and worshiped. Then the Israelites went and did this. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. I just want to conclude for us to see the act of great faith that Israel took the word of the Lord. How were they saved? They were saved by faith and what God had called them to do. How did the people gain their salvation? How did the people get the exodus? It is because they put faith in the blood of the lamb. They put faith in the word of God. They put faith in what he said and they did it. Brothers and sisters, as we have walked through this text, we have seen the substitute, the salvation from our sins, but we can't overlook this story of faith. How do we receive salvation? It is by faith alone, by the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift, from not from works, so that no one can boast. Brothers and sisters, if you want to have hope in your life and salvation, if you want to have hope knowing an eternity of where you will stand, it is that you have placed your faith in Christ. And that is how. I just want to share an illustration that's been going around that was helpful that D.A. Carson shared about this text. Imagine there's two men of Israel who kind of have gathered together after the instructions have come out. And they're probably two good Jewish men, one named Brown and one named Smith, you know, two good Jewish names there. And they turn... Smith turns to Brown and says, Smith, you know, um, have you, are you really prepared for tonight? Are you really ready to go? And Brown says, well, certainly have, have you not killed the lamb? Have you not put the blood on the lentils in the door? And have you not gotten prepared? Smith says, well, yeah, I've done all that. I mean, I, I know that, I've, I've done that, but... But I mean, have you seen what's been going on around here lately? I mean, I had frogs in my bed. I mean, the, the Nile turned to blood. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on here. And now we're just to put blood on the, the door of our house. And, well, it's just really scary. I don't, you've got three sons. I, if one of them goes, I mean, at least you'll be taken care of it. I only have one son. What, I just am, I'm ready. I've done what I'm supposed to do. Brown says, 
I believe in the word of God. Bring it on. Now that night, Smith and Brown, whose firstborn died? Well, the answer is neither. You see, the death did not pass over because of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercised, but on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. It is the object of our faith that we can be assured of. And you might come to Christ right now with the faith of a mustard seed. And by God's grace, you will be saved because your trust is not in your faith. Your trust is in the blood of Jesus Christ. And one day we will stand before God and he will say, why should you come? And you will answer, nothing in my hands I bring only to the cross I cling. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So friend here today, do you trust in Christ? May it be little or big, I call you to trust in Christ. Today, I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in someone here that is working in your heart to bring you out of your own sin and out of darkness and into the light of Christ. That God is at work. He might be in the work at your heart, though you maybe have attended and been around Christians or Christianity for 40 years, but for some reason you've never put your, your faith in Jesus. You put your faith in your works or your, your, your family reputation or, or what you have, but you've never truly trusted Christ. Brother or sister, I encourage you, do not let your pride keep you out of heaven. Trust in only Jesus. And come to faith in him. Or maybe you're here today and you're a skeptic and you're trying to understand Christianity and you're searching. And you're trying and hoping that everything comes right together and fits together. That it all makes sense. Well, brothers and sisters, if that is you, God has brought you here to say this. Look to the blood of the Lamb. Look to the Lamb who is slain. Look to Jesus Christ. What do you say about him? He has died for you. It is but faith in him that will save you. Yes, through the spirit and through the word, things will start to come together. You will begin to understand. God will enlighten you to understand these things. But right now, you know that you're in sin separated from God. And the only way to come through is by faith in the son. It's trust in him. Believers, if you have seen and understood the sacrifice of blood and God for you, are you living for him today? Are you living holy? Are you living in a way that you celebrate him in all of your life? Brothers and sisters, you might be even under attack right now by your own conscience or by your own, uh, by, by other people, by Satan himself saying, you're a failure. 
You're a sinner. You, you are not worthy. You are no good. But you can answer those cries because my hope is in Jesus. And I am covered. And I am loved. Because of what he has done for me. Today, let us be thankful that the Lord saves. Are you thankful the Lord saves? May we worship him. God, thank you so much for what you did for Israel to show that in earth and on earth that you can bring people out of slavery, but you can do far more spiritually through the son of your son Jesus whom you sacrificed. Thankful Lord, we come today for the hope that we have in Christ. Thankful that we know that we have assurance in him. And God, I pray today that all of us are drawn closer to you, that we all take our next step in faith as we follow Jesus. Some of us for the first time today by your spirit at work in us and others as we faithfully follow by your spirit in us. May we honor the sacrifice of the lamb. In Jesus' name, amen.